Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. My show is about facilitating personal growth by involving you in conversations with people I admire, knowing that all of our contributions matter. I am a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I am EMDR certified and a Reiki Level 2 practitioner. I have offices in both Los Angeles, where I will be beginning May 11th, and New Orleans, where I am today. You can find me online at nolatherapy.com, which is the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. You are able to reserve sessions in person, on location, by phone and Skype. You can purchase my book, Having to Do with Treating Depression and Anxiety, and inquire about being a guest or an advertiser on this show. My guest today, I am really excited to introduce. It is Catherine Woodward Thomas, a marriage and family therapist and author of two New York Times bestselling uh, books. Number one is Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. And secondarily, Conscious Uncoupling, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After. If you go to Catherine's website, there is just a wealth of information. Her website is ConsciousUncoupling.com. You're able to download various videos on relationship topics. You can read her blog. She has a lot of really amazing meditations and podcasts and online courses For me as a therapist, what I really um, took to was two two programs that she has. One is a six-month program that trains people to work as conscious uncoupling certified coaches. And then in June, she has starting a calling in the one coach training. So I'd like her to talk about both of these things, and I'd love for the station to please bring on Catherine Woodward-Thomas. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Hi, I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanking, thank you for taking your time out to coming on the show and talking about your work. One of my favorite things to do. I'm, and you know, because obviously everyone here who's with us is is deeply interested in kind of leaning into their own, the edge of their own evolution, and they're working hard, and I'm really happy. I feel like I'm with my tribe when I have the opportunity to come on to a show like such as yours. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm with my tribe, too, speaking with you and all your experience and what you're doing to help people in the area of love and relationships. Well... What else is there but love? I mean, if love isn't working in our lives, it's it it's kind of you know a hollow victory everywhere else. Yeah, you know, it's it's really the food of our heart and our soul. So uh, it's getting the foundations down, and it's also super challenging. 
Yeah. Um, and super painful to go, you know, to be trying to work things out with each other. Just to give perspective on yeah. the struggles that we have in relationship these days is that a lot of, uh, a lot of movement is happening. Relationships have changed more in the last 30 years than they have in the 3,000 years before. And I, I wish I could take credit for that statement, but that's Stephanie Coons who wrote the book Marriage, a History. Okay. Uh, she's one of the world's most foremost experts on, on marriage and relationships. And basically, relationships are in a tremendous growth period right now, and that the hunger in our hearts for a soulmate, for a true partnership, for the experience of um, really feeling seen and like we can, we're at home with a beloved, uh, mm -hmm. known um best friend, spiritual partner, financial equal, wonderful sensual play partner. I mean, all of these things that we yearn for is kind of unprecedented, truthfully. Nobody, mm -hmm. in, like from our grandmother's generation back, ever anticipated that one person would provide these things for us. So I'm not saying that we can't have those things. I trust what's waking up inside of us as the beginning of the creative process, but what it's pushing on us is to grow and develop ourselves so that we would be the kind, the people we would need to be mm -hmm. in order to sustain that kind of relationship and that kind of love. It, Over it's time. Having us, right, exactly. So it's having us all really lean in to our own growth and development. So the expectations we have are good, the hungers are good, and we're also in a tremendous collective growth spurt right now. So where for people interested in, I'm not sure what direction you want to take. So I'm, I'm going to defer I'll follow you. you. I'll follow you. I'm, I'm always a good ginger. And this is your, your folks. So you kind of have a handle on what people want to talk about. Well, one of the things we were just speaking about before coming on the air is in conscious uncoupling, just setting the stage uh, of what happens in a breakup and a separation. And as you wrote, and as I understand, it's it's a complex set of neurobiological uh, sequence of events that J Dr. Judith Herman at Harvard writes about in her book, Trauma and Recovery, that you reference in your book, having to do with a rupture of attachment. And I'm really big on attachment theory and people are avoidant, anxious, secure attachers. And I wonder if you could kind of talk about that initially. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, we're not really biologically built for breakups. We're built for bonding. And mm -hmm. um, if you look at kind of, you know, the culture that we are, you know, the in our lineage, back in our lineage, people needed to be a part of a community in order to survive. And so nature has kind of hardwired us to stay together. And there's all sorts of things that happen in the brain and in the body when we have an, uh, a breakup that would compel us to run after the person who has just betrayed us or hurt us or to do you know, to, to uh, even there's even the slow way that we, we slow down into depression, yeah. which, you know, some have said is nature's way of slowing us down from running away too quickly from the object of our affections. Um, but one of the most fascinating things through the research of Dr. Helen Fisher, when she um, t did, t talked about in a TED talk of hers, around uh, in the same chemicals get secreted in the brain when we're rejected by someone as when we first fall in love. Oh, wow. Meaning 
that someone will reject us and our brain will begin to up the ante on how much we want that person, (laughs) almost like a cruel joke, right? So that we would then run after them and try and get them to change their mind. The other thing that I think happens is that, you know, obviously we go into fight or flight, Mm -hmm. which has us go into action before thought, where the thinking part of the brain slows down and the action, you know, reactive part of the brain you know, flares up, and that's where, you know, you throw all her clothes out on the front lawn and, you know, yes. fit and, you know, or you give away, your, you know, her new car or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, we do the crazy. impulsive, yes. Impulsive, actions. crazy, mean, hostile, you know, things to punish and to get back, and which has nothing to do with who we normally are because, right. you know, we know ourselves to be good, decent, law-abiding citizens right. who you know, who maybe, you know, attends spiritual lectures and listens to Marianne Williamson. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. right. Does, the, does the course of miracles or whatever we do. But then when we break up with somebody, we suddenly become, you know, the latent sociopath comes out. And we want to <laughs> kill them and steal all their money. So, yes. um, so what is that? that? You know, what is that? That kind of craziness? Well, it's all biologically based. Because one of the things we find out is that relationships, and you know this from attachment theory, is that in attachment theory, we begin to find out that we regulate each other. We regulate each other's biology, um, body temperature, and heart rate, and you know all the studies with the breathing bear. The babies will start to breathe with a little. They call them a breathing bear when they put the the breathing machine in the bear, which simulates breath. And the babies will start to sleep better, and you know, with it because the the breathing bear, the rhythm of that little companion is regulating the 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 body of the baby. So we regulate each other, and we also regulate each other's emotions. Yeah. And that's also why, if, even if somebody is mean to you and rejecting and saying all sorts of hurtful things, that the one face you want to see is theirs, because the yeah. moment you hear their voice or you see them, you feel calmer. You feel like, oh, I'm okay again. I'm safe again, even though you are nothing but. Your mind knows that. So all of these things are biologically based. And, and um, Yeah, and how we, yeah. we become reliant upon those that we're close to and, you know, a sense of feeling safe in the world or where you're living, you know, your shared rituals and just the way you live your life and, and pets you may share and such, like all that, I think we you know, rely on biologically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. So yeah, it well, makes nature, a lot of sense. Ha- nature has designed it so that we become addicted to each other, and that is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, until it is, right? Until it is. But but so as I said, nature has hardwired us to bond. It's a survival mechanism. A thousand years ago, if you wandered off from your tribe, you'd probably die. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my uh, when when I was really researching this, one of my conclusions that I came to is that the whole thing about um, going from soulmate to to soul hate, mm-hmm. where you're still mm-hmm. obsessed with that person, you're still kind of invested in, but this time it's a negative bond as opposed to a positive bond, is that nature would even rather a negative bond than the existential angst of no bond wow. at all. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, we have to understand this as conscious people. Yes. As conscious people. We want to know what's happening within us. 
because we need to be able to make decisions and make choices that are congruent with our ethics and not our overwhelming emotions. Right. And because we do not want to be creating negative karma with someone. We want to behave in a way that's clean so that we are setting ourselves up to win moving forward because whatever actions we take, whatever choices we make in those moments where you suddenly have to make a lot of choices, particularly if you're moving out of the house or you're dividing shared assets or you're trying to figure out who gets custody of kids, you're making a lot of decisions. Right. And you you want to be, you know, making them from a very sane and balanced place at a wise place because you're going to be living with the consequences of all of those decisions. For years to come. Yeah. Years to come. You write about that. Yeah. Yes. So how how can people, how can we move along that process from this shock of separation and, and all the stages of grief, you know, anger, denial, bargaining, depression, et cetera, to come to some acceptance and 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 helping each other along to well, develop in meaningful yeah. ways. Absolutely. So the, so the first stage, the first step in a conscious uncoupling process, and by the way, I get asked this question all the time, did Gwyneth get that from you or did you get that from her? Gwyneth got it from me. It wasn't That's me what I thought. Show. Yes. And um, it was, we have a shared colleague that she was working with who was following my work. So um, it was Very cool. great. I was very cool. It was a complete surprise to me when when she popped that into the lexicon. I was super, super grateful. I know I was on a writing retreat in Costa Rica in my yoga clothes. I ended up going (laughs) in my yoga flip-flops and clothes from Costa Rica to Manhattan to go on the Today Show. It was really super crazy. Oh, that's great. Meet me at the airport with shoes and a coat. It was really funny. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, But... So you have to start. So the first step in a conscious uncoupling is to find emotional freedom. Mm. And, you know, and and to the extent that you were shocked by the breakup is the extent that that's going to be important to you. And the most, I mean, the people who leave the relationship have a different experience usually than the people who are leaving the relationship because the person who's leaving has had time to adjust and is a time to form an identity outside of the relationship. Or even move into a new relationship and have time to settle into that and be in a totally different place. Uh, Absolutely. Sometimes it goes that way too. Absolutely. So it's the person who's being left that is usually the most disturbed and the most traumatized uh, Mm -hmm. by the breakup. Even if there have been hints and even if the person has given warning, I don't know. And signs, yeah. You know, we're we're just believers in happily ever after so much that a lot of us have great capacity to turn away from those signs and, you know, ever be the optimist. So... Um, so, you know, I, I, I ask people to rate their level of trauma and to kind of, you know, mm. just to be able to, to, to even recognize it as like, oh, I'm in a traumatized state and it's the beginning of, you know, learning how to talk yourself down and off the ledge. You don't want to be making big decisions from trauma, a traumatized state as much as right. possible. So we teach in the first step, um, a practice that is, uh, kind of a, It's a variation on what psychologists call affect labeling. And it's one of the things that has been shown 
to help us hold and contain very difficult emotions and to get us back in the driver's seat of our lives. And so affect labeling is a fancy way of saying, like, you can actually name what you're feeling. And you have a beautiful meditation about that, too, on your website, Uh, the 10-minute meditation that people can download. Thank you so much on ConsciousUncoupling.com. Absolutely. And it just helps people who are feeling overwhelmed uh, to just, and it's a simple practice where I take you through the ability to um, to ask yourself what you're feeling, to mirror it back, to extend love to the part of you that's really kind of mm-hmm. overwhelmed with that feeling. I include also in that particular meditation that you're referring to uh, a bit of Buddhist tonglen, yes. because tonglen can help us to create a deeper, a deep enough container to actually hold emotions that feel unbearable. And the thing about breakups is that they they really are an underrated trauma. The feelings that we're feeling sometimes, when particularly if we've really breathed someone into the very center of our soul, it, yeah. to just imagine that we have to part from this person, it's an unbearable pain. Mm-hmm. It's a different pain than someone dying. I mean, I can't even begin to you know, fathom what some of our listeners have been through around the death of a loved one, so I'm certainly not going to... You know, I I don't say this to make light of that pain, but a breakup has the added dimension of there's this person is actually alive and And walking around you. Yes. And, 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 And they've somehow decided that you are not worthy of their love or... You know, that they won't yeah. go the extra mile or whatever it is. It's it's like a double whammy. So you're going through the death of the relationship, and then you're also going through the insult to your identity. Right. To not be chosen. To not be special, really to not be favored you know, like you once exactly. were. Yeah. It's shocking. Yeah. So how do you get... So, so one of the things that I think is the most important thing in step one is that I help also people to identify the impulse that's underneath of the anger or the very big feelings of despair, for instance. Underneath the anger. So, yeah. Right. So if you say, like, for, for example, a lot of people feel very angry at the end of a relationship because they feel kind of insulted, they feel indignant, they're horrified by the ill treatment they've received, um, and so there's an impulse underneath the anger that says, I deserve to be treated with more respect. Mm-hmm. I deserve to be loved in the way that I myself give love. I deserve someone to tell the truth to me. So those are those are all true. It says like it's a building all... block. It's a right. building block I'm, it is. I'm sensing. Yeah. I love that. That's a great way to say that. Thank you. So we we look at that, Lisa, and we have, you know, somebody be able to harness the energy of that and take all of the energy of the upset and the anger and the despair that this is happening again or, you know, whatever it is, and to point it in the direction of positive change so that they're harnessing the energy of the negative emotion, latching it on to an intention you're going to set for your own life. This is the last time I will ever be ill-treated. I'm breaking the pattern of abuse. From now on, I will only have relationships with people who treat me with respect. And that support me. Yes. That support me, that see me, that get me, that have the capacity to love me back in the same way that I love them. Whatever that stand is, right? So that's what you want to 
point that energy in a positive direction. And in your so step two, correct, to reclaim right, your power in your one. life. Well, now we can start to do some self-reflection because now we've got ourselves a bit more contained. And, of course, we have to make meaning of what just happened. And and as in all trauma, and I know you know this because you're such an expert in trauma, Lisa, but we have to tell the story of what just happened to try uh, and yeah. integrate it into our psyche. And unfortunately, at the end of a relationship, most people are telling that story over and over from a very victimized perspective. Right. And um, and on some level, it feels good to do that because, number one, probably the other person did behave badly. And, um, and, and number two, it just feels good to, you know, point that anger at someone. The problem with it is that even if it was 97% the other person's fault, unless we look at our 3% and see yeah. really clearly the ways we gave our power away, the ways that we threw ourselves overlooked under the things, bus, the minimized, overlooked, minimized, turned the other way, didn't want to see the red flags, whatever it was, we can never trust ourselves to not do that again. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, without taking taking our part in the co-creation. Right. So you have to see it. You have to see it to be able to trust yourself moving forward to not duplicate this experience ever again. And you have to identify the specific new amends you're going to make to yourself. Like from now on, I will always ask the questions that I need to ask in order to create safety for myself. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, affirming oneself in that. Yeah. Action that needs to be taken to evolve the story. I will always read a legal contract. I will always trust my own deeper knowing. I will not put my first attention on someone else ever again and self-abandon. From now on, I will be connected to my feelings and connected to my needs, and I will be responsible for making those visible to others. You know, whatever that growth edge is. Yeah. That's step two. Step three is the ability, it's called break the pattern, heal your heart. Okay. So it's it's the ability to start to see the meta pattern about how this recent disappointment is part of a larger story. Mm-hmm. And start to recognize how the patterns have been actually happening through you as opposed to just to, to you. you. It feels right. Like, right? Yeah. It feels like it's just my fate that everybody always leaves me somehow. But there's, you know, there's just, usually underlying beliefs. Yeah. A lot of unconscious things that we can bring to our consciousness and actively work with and on, I think. Exactly. And if you, so there's a five-step process that I introduce in the Conscious Uncoupling book where I'm helping people to see exactly um, what the beliefs are. I call it your source fracture wound, the original mm, yeah. Yeah. break in your heart, right? Daddy left when I was four, and I made that mean that men always leave. And then you want to look at how you are the source of men always leaving you, which is an odd question to ask because we go right to it's happening to me. Right. I wanted them to stay. Right. So it's like really like looking at it like, hmm, I wonder how I might have set people up to leave me. Interesting. 
I don't know, maybe right from the beginning I choose someone who's married or engaged or there's some kind of, you know, triangulation. He's not finished with another relationship, so that could right. be a very predictable likelihood that he would eventually leave and go back to the other relationship. Or it could be that the moment that there's uh, conflict, you assume that the relationship is over, and so you withdraw your love and you put up a wall and you start signaling the other person to leave. Or maybe even as a preemptive strike, you kind of, um, you know, you communicate that you're leaving first, you know, because right. you're trying to protect yourself from rejection. So even because it's interesting, I mean, sometimes people, we're the ones who leave, but on an emotional level, it feels like we've been left. So we have yeah, this like yeah. over-identification with the feeling. So that's the story we're telling ourselves, even right. though we were, were the ones who actually said, I'm done with the relationship. Yeah. This is one thing we have to learn. This is like psychology 101. Do not believe everything you think and do not believe everything you feel. You feel. Absolutely. Right. That's true. Yeah, and I think identifying the source fracture wound, I've been working with my clients using your term, you know, crediting you. A, a group of my clients in Atlanta have actually a calling in the one group, and these girls meet and read your book, and then they talk to me in our sessions about it. So it's very cool. And um, Very cool. Yeah, but the source, the source fracture wound, it's so important to identify so that we can, you know, feel less of a victim and more of empowered to identify, I think, people that would reopen and reactivate and trigger those wounds, you know, in, instead of when to help you heal your wound. So, well, and, 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 and one of the things that we do is we have to wake ourselves up out of that story. I mean, I, I am, I'm a person who actually believes that you can disappear these stories. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, I don't always have to have the belief that men always leave me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what I'm saying? And I think, you know, look, I'm in my 50s. At some point, we all get a little tired of going, and this is what happened when I was four. Yes. This was, you know, it's like, yes. oh, I just have to like, you know, I have to put my attention on something else. So so, so where we go in our work, and, and calling in the one is really big on this, and, and the source fracture wound and conscious uncoupling is related to what we call your true, your your love identity core beliefs those core beliefs you have about yourself as it relates to love, and they keep showing up, and that's what's generating a lot of the patterns. But the thing about the beliefs is that you can say to yourself, well, honey, how old How old are you? Like, how old is right. the part of you that's, like, inside that story? Well, I'm four. Well, okay, well, I'm an adult, and I love you, and I'm really, you know, heartbroken that your daddy left you, and I'm sorry. And you know what? It doesn't mean that every man is going to leave you. Exactly. And I've got to you and let, you know, let's use all our resources we have now that I can as a grown woman, you know, to really reality test, I think that feeling and emotion of four. And to mentor that part of us along to yes. a, more, a more true story. And then you start to align your behaviors so that when there's conflict, going back to that, you say, hmm, maybe I can pick up the phone and say, look, you're an important person to me and you matter to me and I'm super upset about what just happened. So let's see if we can get work this out and get on the same page. I like that. Right? Yeah. So you're so you're doing more repair work, uh, you're leaning in, you're thinking together, you're affirming the value of the relationship even though you're upset. Right. right? So these these are like a different skill set. And then there's development. There's like the ability to 
not be so um, um, reactive, mm-hmm. right? The ability to tolerate your own vulnerability. Like, okay, I really care about this person. I feel like I'm going to be shattered if it ends. And um, it's important that I stay open. And, you know, so that's that's your capacity for tolerating the possibility of disappointment. Uh, your capacity to hear truth without attacking, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> really look, self-examine, notice your own motives. Like, all of these things are developmental. They are. This is what a lot of us are doing in therapy and why we're going back to the first thing I said is that, you know, what's going to equip us to be able to have the relationships that we're wanting to now have is developmental. And a lot of the reason why people, you know, complain over and over again, we can't get out of our patterns and they, you know, no matter how many years I sit on the cushion and the couch, here it is again, how frustrating is that? Um, is because we are missing certain development that would allow us to create a different experience. Okay. So a lot, yeah, it, that's really deep. I mean, we could talk about that for like we could. days. I know. Because right. my really question I want to ask deal. you is, okay, how do we do that? But that would be a whole... <laughs> that Yeah. Well, let's see. How do we do that? Well, I think it's... Uh, the, I can give you a key to it, though. Because okay. the, the thing that we do is... So, for example, what does this look like? It looks like... It looks like someone saying, yeah, but I can't stand up to, I can't stand up for myself because my father, you know, always punished me when I did. Right. Right. But I can't stand up for myself. I can never tell people what I really feel and need. Right. So then, so, so there, so what happens is with these limitations, we tend to accommodate them and organize around them. And so maybe we avoid relationship entirely because we don't want to be overwhelmed or maybe we choose someone that we think is less powerful than us so we don't get overtaken. We have all these compensation mechanisms for that as opposed to saying what would need to grow stronger and healthier in me to be able to stand up for myself? Yes. What would I need to learn? Well, I might need to learn what, healthy boundaries actually look like. Or I might need to learn better ways of actually expressing my feelings. Right? Or I might need to have more of a command over my own beliefs about other people and what I assume is true, which is that maybe, you know, other people are untrustworthy in some way. Like, well, I don't know, maybe some people are trustworthy and some people aren't, but if I had learned the skills of discernment, I would be able to really weed weed out who is untrustworthy and invest less in those relationships, right? So these are all these are things that we can develop, and luckily we're all grown-ups. We all learned how to drive a car. Yeah, we all learned how to cook dinner for ourselves. We learned how to pay the bills, and we learned how to uh, work our crazy, you know, tech things that keep changing every five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Disrupting our peace. Yes. You know, Thank God as, we are lifelong learners. <laughs> yes. You know, as I hear you saying this specific piece of things, it's making me think of your quote that that says, time doesn't heal wounds, we do. And, and when you make that analogy to say a broken leg, like you wouldn't just 
you know, not go to the doctor or not take time to, to heal that or you would have a limp. Like what I hear you saying is is attending to these emotional source fractures and wounds so that we can attract the kind of relationship and person that we want to really meet our needs. And to tend to them in a particular way. So a lot of what we've been doing to tend to them is processing the backed up emotions, which is, which is important. And, but, but what allows us to graduate from the pattern so that that's Mm -hmm. no longer an issue in your life is to, is, is to identify the missing pieces of development and to commit yourself to taking those on, to learning the new ways of relating that are going to generate a different experience. So if you notice, these all, all of these, we saw these first three steps of conscious uncovering yeah. are all about my own work. Stuff. About it is. About holding and containing my own experience, about taking personal responsibility for the breakup, about using it as an opportunity to graduate from painful patterns that have been in my field for many, many years. So now, then what's next? Yeah. Four. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready to deal with the other person. So that I'm not filled okay. with all those projections and all of that, you know, just, you know, blame and shame waiting to tumble out of my mouth. So um, that's when um, we want to, the name of the, the chapter is Becoming a Love Alchemist. Yeah. And it's basically, you know, really transforming the field between you so that it's not one like a festering hotbed of resentment and anger. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's it's one where completion, conscious completion, can happen, and uh, where you can let go of festering resentments and really get complete. And I think that for, I think the key to to real conscious completion and to clearing the field of resentments is not just an apology. An apology is right. great. I mean, it would be great. I mean, some of us are like listening, saying, "Oh, I wish I could get an apology." But you know, it's but what really disappears emotional toxic residue is is the extension, the offer to make an amends. Yeah, a true attunement, I think, to the, the person's feeling and true experience. Attunement. You're right. It's true attunement and really getting the impact that you, your behavior has had on someone. And taking responsibility. And taking responsibility and willingness to make an amends. Yeah. Now, it's, you know, they're messy. Breakups are messy. So I think we have to learn to be complete with or without the other person's participation mm-hmm. and with or without whether they ever get it or right. you ever get to have a conversation with them in person where there's an amends extended to you. I think we all know that people have wronged us in the past who never extended an amends, let alone, you know, even apologized. So, so yeah, how, how do we cope with that and move through that? Well, you know, I think I think some horrible, um, egregious uh uh, they're almost crimes of the soul that yeah. we, we feel it as a crime of the soul. If there was a deep betrayal, or um, I think some of these things really can only be healed through an amends. So of course we can make it to ourselves. And I love, I'm a big fan of soul to soul meditations. If your former partner is not in their right mind, they're kind of in their ego and they're a little on the crazy side and they're projecting all sorts of stuff onto you. Right. Um, you can call in their higher self, and you can have a conversation where you yes. are reclaiming your value, where you are making amends and clearing the field of the misunderstandings 
and things that you did that were egregious. Uh, you can make an amends moving forward. I will never treat another person that way. I've learned from this relationship. I will never again you know, make these assumptions or I will never again betray somebody in the way that I betrayed you. Please forgive me. I will you know, make an amends moving forward. Um, sometimes the amends is to yourself like because, look, the cost of giving our power away is so high. Mm-hmm. It's so high. The cost of... Um, codependence is so high. Codependence mm-hmm. kills. Codependence kills. So I think that these are life lessons that only need to come around once. And if you can get your life out of it, like, okay, from this moment forward, like, I will never be this way again. So again, that amends to self. But somehow where we need to get to is what's going to allow us to forgive ourselves and even forgive the other person. So it helps to learn the life lessons moving forward. And you can also set an intention for um, a positive future. And that future doesn't have to be best friends. Sometimes it is. But the future can be just you're neutral to me. And I am grateful for the time we spent together. Yeah. And And you were a great catalyst for my own growth and evolution. And that's who we are for each other. So I will, you know, I will speak respectfully of you publicly and I will do my best to hold you in my heart with kindness and compassion and move forward. Right. So that's, that's a, it's, it's kind of like an intention for freedom is what it really yeah. is. And I love that, that meditation or exercise where you do call, talk about, you know, calling that person in and sitting in front of them, you know, if you're not able to have that one-on-one dialogue in real life, you know, to kind of call them in and, and like you said, go through everything, what you've learned, what you appreciate, basically consciously uncouple without them there and express the amends, you know, make the amends to yourself. It's such a beautiful ceremony and process that you articulate. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, And then the fifth step, creating your happily even after life. Um, do you know, I think this is, it begins with clearing up, becoming conscious of the agreements that the old form of the relationship was based on, and clearing them up and recreating new agreements. So for okay. example, with my own former husband, you know, obviously we took marital vows and uh, we promised to be deeply devoted to each other for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And to be primary partners and um, for sexual fidelity. Like, these are all the promises that we make. And so the agreements that needed to be completed between us is that he would be the only man I would ever love for the rest of my life, or my expectation that I would be the only woman that he ever loved for the rest of his life. And um, we make these conscious, we write these down, and uh, what you're what you're completing for what you said and promised and what the promise was to you. And then we might healthier, you know, uh, agreements for where we're going and what the future of the relationship is. And he and I are co-raising our daughter together. So we have, I love that. Yeah. We have a very strong commitment to co-raise our daughter. And we, um, we actually have designed a lot of structures that I think are very wholesome structures for well-being, uh, one being that we both live in the same apartment building. <laughs> oh, cool. Her, yeah, so we both have a two-bedroom apartment in the same building, and uh, she has her bedroom in his apartment, 
and I have my office as my second bedroom, which is where I'm talking to you from right now. But okay. she's up and down, and she's uh, she sleeps at my place, you know, four nights a week, five nights a week. So she's back and forth. So she feels like she just lives in the whole building. In a big house. That's amazing. Yeah. She has a big house. Seriously. <laughs> she, owns that. she owns the apartment. The complex. whole apartment building. <laughs> So, I mean, that's a very wholesome structure. That's happily even afterlife is also setting up structures for well-being and really thinking holistically and not just about yourself, but like about everyone involved. I'm a big advocate for children um, not necessarily uh, going back and forth as though they're members of two families. I'm a big Mm -hmm. advocate of uh, creating your happily even after expanded family, which has reconfigurated the roles of the family, but which keeps you still a family. So Mark and I are um, friends in in the deepest sense of the word, you know, in the sense that it's not like a friendship, you know, where I go to him with every emotional upset, but it's a friendship that, um, like last night, for instance, last night he had a fever. He had a fever. It was, you know, and and I had a class I was supposed to go to. I'm a singer, and I was in a singing class. And uh, mm-hmm. he called me, and he said, I have 103 fever. And so I just Ooh. canceled the class, and I sat, and I read, and I did my work on his. I went to the market. I got oh. him some stuff. I sat on his couch, and I read, and I was just there. That's you know, so loving. Well, yeah. And I would do it for my brother. Right, I would right. Do it it's for what my you brother. Do. Yeah, I, so I do it for Mark, and he does it for me. So, so my daughter doesn't feel like she's a member of two families. And what an example for her to grow up in the relationships that she will have to have this model of you and Mark in the experience of her family. Yeah, that that it's it's a way to value relationships, and uh, even even if they choose to, if even if people choose to change the form of the relationship, it's to you know, have respect for each other and honor for each other as much as possible. And I appreciate that as a therapist, you have have used so much of your personal history and experience in your books because as therapist, at least I was taught that you, you don't do that. And I find it so helpful that you've talked about, you know, growing up and your parents divorcing and, you know, your separations and being a singer and just have like the whole narrative of your life woven into this fabric to help others, you know, identify and, and be able to use the material, I think, more effectively than just a more sterile textbook type uh, piece of literature. Thank you, Lisa. You know, I love writing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I, I am a writer. And I, and so when I, when I have the opportunity to write a book, I, I really throw a lot of my soul and my heart into it. But Calling in the One came out in 2004. And most, of the, there was no other books that were really doing that, what you're pointing to and, you know, where, um, and they would call me and they'd, be getting the book chapter by chapter, and I remember my editor calling me saying, "This, w- what are you doing? You're not supposed to be talking about yourself. You're an expert." Wow! But my and they almost would. I had to fight with them to get yeah. them to let me do that because they really were freaked out about it. Well, now you have wonderful like Brene Brown and yeah, like there's a whole genre of you know of look, we're all people like, here like and yeah. And, you know, some of us are experts because we've really studied a particular area, but we're all in this together, everyone, and um, let's all get real. So I am grateful because that was my instinct. I, I really feel like we have to 
we have to model for each other what this looks like. A lot of us have concepts of what we should be doing, but unless we actually see like, oh, this is someone who is like me, who went through the things that I went through, and this is what she was feeling too, just like me, and wow, she chose to do this. So let me see if I can apply myself there, and we need that from each other. We do. So I wonder, Catherine, if in the last like five, six minutes, could we talk about your, your programs for people to come become Calling in the One coaches and Conscious Uncoupling certified coaches? Because I just think that's so interesting. Thank you. You know, yeah. I, I think one of my favorite things to do is to train coaches because the technologies that um, we've been developing in our community and we've been working with really tens of thousands of people over the last decade plus um, is how to transform core beliefs at the core. And a lot of, you know, what's woven into both the calling in the one work and in the uh, conscious and coupling work has to do with this ability to transform at the level of identity. Now, why is that important? Well, where we are centered in our identity is where we're generating life from. And okay. so it's everything. It's everything. And into, and if we have like, so what that means is if I have like a core sense of myself, like I'm not really enough, mm-hmm. I don't care what I can manifest, I am not going to be able to sustain it. I don't okay. care how much the other person even loves me. I will find a way to kill that love off or to, to enroll them in the story that I really am not good enough. Mm. So we have to transform at the level of identity to really make these huge, long-lasting shifts in our lives. And so I've been developing, I've been working with coaches, I've trained hundreds of coaches so far, and we have a really thriving coach community. And I just I just graduated 100 people from the Conscious Uncoupling Coach Training a few weeks ago. Congratulations. Just about, thank you. It was really yeah. exciting. Wow. Really exciting. The book had just come out. It went on the New York Times bestseller list, and all these people decided to step up. It was really wonderful. But where I'm very excited about the next upcoming Calling in the One Coach training, because a lot of what our community is standing for is cracking the code on what allows people to catalyze the greatest amount of transformation. So the people who've had abusive backgrounds, codependent backgrounds, love addict backgrounds, you know, addictive backgrounds, all of those things, what equips that person to have a happy relationship okay. to, that lasts over time? And that's what we're standing for as a community. It's a five-month process. Calling in the one coach training.com is where people can find out about it. You do not need to be a therapist to join us. That's what I was going to ask you. Okay. We have therapists, and you don't even need to have called in the one in order to join us. That's great. And when is that We do a lot of personal work, too, because it's my philosophy that the more we live the material, the more a transmission that we have with our clients. Yes. So we we do a lot of transformational work on ourselves as the foundation. Some people come into the training just for their own personal development because it's so life-altering. So what is that website for the Calling in the One Coach Training? CallingintheOneCoachTraining.com And when is the next one? It starts in June of 2016. Okay. Excellent. So that's June. coming yeah. up soon. And it's then your five-day just... live event in L.A., and then, but it's live-streamed and it's recorded so that if oh, that's great. really couldn't be there live, we can work something out. Okay. We can watch the recording later. And then what about the Conscious Uncoupling Certified Coaching Training? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people come go from one to the other. 
They yeah. do both so that they go both ends of the spectrum, you know, and they can really take people home. Um, but, you know, it's not necessary. The next Conscious Uncoupling Coach training starts in the fall, and that is, to find out about that, it's ConsciousUncouplingInstitute.com. Okay. ConsciousUncouplingInstitute.com. It's also on the homepage. If you scroll down on ConsciousUncoupling.com, there is a, a click-through to the coach training. Okay. Wow. This is so comprehensive. And clearly you love your work because going to your website, it's just full of information and, and just your heart, your soul. It's just like, wow. Oh, really thank you. Helpful. I do. It's a great, it's a great privilege to be able to serve at this level. Thank you. You're welcome. Anything else to share with our listeners before we end for this afternoon? I just think you're amazing. Look what you're giving to people. I just wish you the best on your show, Lisa. Thank really, you. I think this is a great service to everyone. I and really I, I love that you you have an alternative community that you're serving to. And I think you know any way I can support your efforts, please don't hesitate to call on me. Thank you so much. Yeah, we do. A- by the way, have have certain yeah. programs for people who. Um, you know, people of color or people who are, have a different sexual orientation. Oh, we cool. want to be very, a very inclusive, inclusive community. So we we have uh, ways that we, we do like work exchanges and stuff with people to get visibility as leadership in our community. We promote people to positions of leadership. So if anyone's interested, please give us a, you know, give us a nudge and we'll be happy to talk to anyone about that. That's great, Catherine. Thank you so much for spending this afternoon with us. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That concludes our show today with Catherine Woodward Thomas. Tune in next week at the same time, and we will interview another guest. Goodbye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.